Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vincent Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. Many people in the West have a view that if God truly exists, he should protect them from the evil of this world. Why does God allow bad things to happen to innocent people? If God truly exists, why is there evil and why is there suffering? Isn't he capable of stopping it? But before we get started, Vince, could you give us a bit of an update about how amazing the response has been for Ask Away? It's really encouraging, uh, Michael. I think we've been blown away at uh, the level of engagement from people, how many questions we're receiving every day, the range of the questions. So we just want to thank people for taking seriously our offer to send your questions in because you're doing that. You're doing that in great number. You're doing that with great diversity. And we're really excited to get around to talking about all these topics. Excellent. So we are going to go to our first question. People often explain moral evil to be the result of our free will. But if that is the case, then how do you explain natural evil? Examples, earthquakes, tsunamis, and things like that. Yeah, I want to thank you so much uh, for asking this question. Um, It's one that I think we all wrestle with at different points. I think particularly this year, um, we've been face-to-face with so much natural evil, um, especially over in the States with with hurricanes and flooding and and fires going on. So um, I think we're all feeling the full force of the question in a fresh way at the moment. Um, I think the first thing I I would want to point to before um, passing this on to Vince, who uh, actually wrote his PhD on the topic of uh, the problem of evil and suffering. So um, he has a few things to say to this question in particular. Um, But it's interesting to me the way this has been phrased that um, the question actually asked was, how do you explain natural evil? And the implication behind that is actually that that what is going on in the world um, isn't just a natural event, but it's actually evil. It's attaching kind of moral value to it in terms of saying, this isn't good this is bad um, and and of course if you if you take God out of the picture then then we actually can't label it that way we can't call it evil we just have to say hey this is just a natural event this is just the way that the world is and Richard Dawkins uh, puts it like this when he says in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication some people are going to get hurt other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it nor any justice that would be the response um, of the naturalist um, and yet uh, there's something about it that I think in every single one of us as human beings, we're dissatisfied with that because actually we do experience it as evil. And I think the natural response of every one of us is to ask the question, why? Why is this happening? To feel like actually there's something deeply wrong with the world, that it isn't supposed to be this way. Um, I I love the words of the poet Dylan Thomas. I think he really gets to it when he says, um, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light, that sense that actually death shouldn't happen, that that it's profoundly wrong. Um, And actually what I really appreciate about appreciate about Christianity is, is actually Christianity affirms that intuition, that that sense we all have of something being 
profoundly wrong with the world is actually a right sense. And that makes it unique among other worldviews. As we've already said, you know, for naturalism, it is just the way the world is. You know, if you're um, a Hindu, then actually evil and suffering, they're not reality, but actually that they are illusion that we just need to, you know, sort of move beyond. If you're a Buddhist, then yes, there's a recognition that suffering is a real thing, but actually the way you deal with it is to detach yourself from it. You know, if you're in Islam, then, you know, it's not to be questioned. You just say, actually, this is the the will of Allah. But only in Christianity do we have that sense of actually there is something really wrong with the world. And this is the right question for us to be asking. Yeah, it is a really interesting term, natural evil. You might think it's an oxymoron that if it's just natural, if it's just a matter of matter plus chance plus time, if that's all the universe is, if it's just natural, then it's not really evil. Or on the other hand, if it is genuinely evil, then it's not natural, then it's unnatural, then there's something wrong. So maybe unnatural evil is a better term. But I find it helpful to recognize that some of the things we call natural disasters are not evil in and of themselves. Take a tornado, for instance. A tornado, just on its own, is a beautiful thing. If you were far enough away from it, you'd love to look at it and to enjoy it and to give praise to God for the fact that there's this amazing piece of creation. It's only evil when people are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so here's a question for all of us, and it's a question that the Christian worldview asks. What if we're not operating as we were intended to operate in our environment because we're not in as a whole race as humanity, we're not in the relationship with God that we were intended to live in. And a simple analogy would be like a feral child, a child that is taken out of the relationships, the family relationships that the child was most made for, and then asked to live in its natural environment. Well, it wouldn't be able, that child wouldn't be able to do that well outside the context of the nurturing relationships that the child was intended for. Could it be the case that something similar is going on with humanity? We're not living in the relationship with God we are most intended for, and therefore we're finding it very difficult to operate in the context of our natural environment in the way that we're intended. Now, some of this is speculative. We only can hold confidently to what the Bible tells us on this issue, but it is interesting to think about the relationship between relationship and our ability to live successfully in a natural environment. And one thing that I found really intriguing was that about 15 years ago, when there was the tsunami in Southeast Asia, I remember reading that when the tsunami hit Sri Lanka, none or almost no animals died because Rayleigh waves, vibrational waves from the tsunami, which reached the coast hours before the water itself, gave the animals the impetus to run away from the coast. And so they headed up into the hills and they were far away by the time the tsunami had reached there. Human persons ran to the coast, down to the beach to look at all this water that was receding. Interestingly, studies show that human persons also have sensors in in our joints 
that can detect these vibrational waves. But when we detect them and we're asked what we feel, we just say things like, oh, I feel a bit odd. It feels a, a bit weird in this room, those sorts of things. Animals, in this case, they're receiving those vibrational waves, but they're actually functioning in a way that it causes them to realize there's danger and let's get out of here. We are not quite functioning in the way we were intended to in our natural environment. We're functioning in a broken way because first and foremost, our hearts are broken, but that is also reflected in the way that we're interacting in our creation. So I think that's one interesting way to think about it. Oftentimes we think about the uh, natural events themselves as evil, but actually what's evil is when human persons are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And maybe that's partly a result of the fact that we're a broken, fallen people who aren't in the relationship that we're most intended to be in, and therefore we're not functioning in our environment in the way we were most intended to. Mm. I think that's um, that really accords with the image we're given in Genesis of yeah. you know of people <laughs> um, that God places in a garden. But you know, a, a garden in um, in the ancient world is the symbol of, of, of an enclosed kind of safe space where where um, creation is orderly. Um, you know, and the rest of the world outside of it is is is. Um, is wild and difficult, and you know, and the garden is an image of, of God's protection of, of being, um, you know, in harmony with nature because you're in harmony with God. But then, once you know, once they they leave the garden, they're stepping out of God's uh, protection. You know, once the fall comes, and and there's a rupturing, you know, not only in our relationship with God but with each other and with the whole of creation. And you know, and then it speaks of thorns and thistles and and the hardship that that comes when when we're no longer in in that space. And yet, one one thing I I do think is that you know, so often. And obviously, when natural disasters come, we, we focus on the, the disaster of it and, and the suffering that's coming from it. But um, but actually, what we don't think about is the other side of it, of actually how much grace we're still under and that we're even able to live at all, that we're on a planet that actually functions in such a way that we can have life. And this is where it's wonderful being part of a, a wider speaking team, of, you know, over 50 um, speakers on the RZIM team. And it means you can um, borrow great ideas from other team members. And um, Dr. Sharon Dirks, who is uh, one of our speakers in the UK, um, who's also written on suffering. And she she points out that actually, um, if you compare even planet Earth to the other planets in our solar system, we see such a wild difference between them. So Venus, for example, has hundreds of volcanoes and the volcanic plains cover over 80 to 85 percent of the surface. No life could exist there. Or you look at Jupiter, which has a storm going on that's twice as big as the Earth and it's been going for 400 years. You No one could live in that. So... Um, yes, we're in an environment where sometimes we, you know, we suffer the consequences of the way that the natural world is working, and yet at the same time, um, we're also in a world um, where we can see. Um, how it's functioning in such a way that actually we are given the grace of being able to survive and to live at all. You know, often scientists speak of this as the fine tuning of the universe, you know, and, and you might even say the same with the planet Earth, that it's so finely tuned that actually we're able to exist within it. And of course, it's that, it's that tension we live with when a storm can come and bring destruction that kills. And yet at the same time, we need our weather systems to bring rain so we don't starve. And we can also look at a sunset, you know, of cloud formations and think, wow, isn't that beautiful? And I think it just speaks to how incredibly complex the system is that we're living in um, and our relationship with it. And yet uh, we also need it to live. That makes a lot of sense, Joe. Uh, I think that we we have to also understand that the fall, and, and you touched upon this, the, the fall didn't just affect our relationship with God. It did affect 
the the entirety of creation. When we have an understanding that this is not the way that the world is supposed to be, it doesn't make it that we should be like, okay, it, it shouldn't make us flippant. It should still break our hearts that people die in tsunamis and in earthquakes and in fires. But we also understand that there are good things that come out of natural uh, events, but that people get hurt in those natural events. But ultimately, where we're leading, where things are going, will be a restoration of creation where we just don't have to experience those things anymore. Yes, I think we underestimate the potential relationship between, like you said, Michael, the fall or free will and natural evil or what we often refer to as natural evil. We often think these things are unrelated. We have free will that is involved in moral evil. Then we have natural evil, and that's a completely separate thing. But I think you're right that these two things are related, uh, and you can think about the relation in at least a couple of different ways. I mean, one, we know biblically that we're not the only types of beings that God has created. We know that God has created angels. We know that some of those angels have fallen away from him as well. We know at the beginning of the book of Job that uh, in at least some cases God allows, uh, in that case, uh, Satan himself, to have some sort of control over our environment. And this is not that unusual of an idea in that if you think about it, even we as human persons have an impact on the environment of lower creatures. So how we affect the environment is going to determine how many lower species of the world are impacted. Uh, and we can, we can easily see that in many places of the world. Well, could it be the case that God has created a rich tapestry of life? Uh, we are one of the living things he's brought into existence, but he's brought into, into existence many other forms of animals uh, that are below us. He's also uh, brought into existence angels as well. And has he brought together a meaningful tapestry of life where our actions don't just have an impact on us as individuals or even just on our species, but they can have an impact beyond ourselves as well. And that makes life um, challenging, but it also makes life meaningful. And the other just hypothetical to consider is imagine, and this gets at the potential relationship between free will and the fall and the way that we're currently operating in our natural environment. Imagine that the fall had not taken place, that we had never misused our free will to walk away from God. What would the world be like then? What if we had never sinned? We had developed as a human race in perfect community. We had helped each other at every turn. We had never had any stress or any anxiety. I know not long ago, my mom, my, my parents were under a lot of stress because of a situation uh, with their house. And I couldn't believe the way it affected my mom physically because of the stress that she was going through. Imagine if no stress and no anxiety at any point in human history. Imagine if we had sought knowledge for good reasons rather than for selfish reasons, if we had actually walked in the garden with God continually and had asked him all of our questions about the things that we needed to know to develop the sort of technology that we need to develop to cure potential diseases that might be able to come about. I mean, we... It is hard to imagine where we would be 
as a human race if we had never dealt with selfishness, stress, anxiety, uh, enmity against each other. And that ultimately is what was intended. And so we sometimes think, well, natural disasters don't have anything to do with free will. I actually think if we had used our free will as God intended and instructed us to from the very beginning as a human race, things would look radically different in terms of the knowledge we would have, the wisdom we would have for how to operate in our environment, and the technology we would have as we used our intellectual gifts that God had given together without selfishness, in cooperation with him, walking alongside of us, giving us all of the insight that we needed to produce, all of the technology that we might have needed to produce to operate in our environment in an ideal way. So let's not separate too much natural evil from free will, because if we had used our free will as God intended it from the beginning, things would look really, really different. Absolutely. So that leads us into question number two, and I think it's actually, I think it's an appropriate question considering the conversation that we've had. This is from Stephen Jay. My brother-in-law is a non-believer. He says his main objection is even if God exists, why would he allow things like cancer in children to occur? I have read Amy or Ewing's book, Is It Real? And, and he says an excellent book. We're not just plugging. He actually says an excellent book. But I'm still struggling with this question. Can you please help me with an answer? Gosh, it's, it's, uh, it's such a big question. We, um, we spoke in part to this recently when a question came in from someone called Mike um, who was writing in about the death of his son. Um, so... If you have a chance to listen to that episode, hopefully some things in there might be helpful as well. But um, particularly when it comes to this um, extremely painful question of cancer in children, um, I think so often, you know, we do as Christians find ourselves um, at a loss as what to say. Um, you know, I can't imagine for anyone listening who has lost a child in this way, I'm so sorry um, for, for what you have experienced and what you've been through. Um, I think... A couple of things to say here about some of the assumptions we make when people ask us th this question and, you know, they point to this particular kind of suffering and say, well, why this this piece? Why this thing in particular? Um, one is that um, I think smuggled into this this question is, is the thought that um, you know, maybe other people um, deserve to suffer in some way. But, you know, children are innocent um, and it's, it just seems so unbelievably unfair. Um, but I actually want to even challenge that assumption that that links someone's suffering with something that they've they've done and um you know because i think jesus himself speaks to this um when when a tower falls on a group of people um you know jesus actually says it wasn't because of some particular sin that they did that that caused that you know it's actually the reality um of the broken world that we're living in that we've been talking about that you know that these kind of tragedies do happen so i think we need to be very careful not to assume um there's a blame um, when we see suffering taking place in somebody's life, a particular instance of suffering. The other thing that I want to say is I think we feel the unfairness of it when we look at, you know, children suffering with cancer because we think, well, you know, if someone dies in their old age, we at least sort of feel like, well, they had a chance to live. They got to experience life, um, where, whereas a child hasn't had that chance. And so we're kind of comparing our lives with one another and saying, well, that doesn't seem fair. And, and I, I understand why we think this way, because, you know, we as, as human beings, <laughs> um, you know, we are running on a timeline and we're comparing ourselves to one another. But actually, I think um, 
having the eternal perspective of God makes a radical difference when it comes to this question. I was reading Psalm 90 the other day, which talks about a thousand years in God's sight being like a day that has gone by or like a watch in the night, you know, and it talks about our lives being like a morning that spring up new, but by the evening they're, you know, they're dry and withered. And, you know, the psalmist prays, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And, you know, just just the difference between the way we see time and the way time flows for us and the way God sees it and understands it and 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 how every one of our lifespans from God's perspective are literally gone in the blink of an eye. It's just um, that fast and um, and actually that that makes a profound difference when it comes to this question because then the real question I think is not how much time do we get on this earth but actually the bigger question is will we have the eternal life with God that he actually died to bring us and and give us and that he desires for every single one of us and and you know however much we grieve the loss of somebody I actually believe God grieves it more that every life is infinitely precious to God but that's why he's done everything he possibly could to ensure that actually whatever we experience in this lifetime isn't um, isn't the end, but actually that we could have an eternity with him when um, when those timeframes, our perspectives will be reoriented. And I think we'll just see things so differently from the other side of eternity than we, than we can in this lifetime. Yeah, that's good. I think it was Billy Graham who once said, one day you will hear rumors that I have died. Do not believe them. They will not be true. Mm. And just a wonderful perspective for it to be real to someone that actually death is not truly death. Uh, actually is just the beginning. And uh, an analogy I was thinking about not long ago was that idea of waking up from a dream. And I'm careful about this analogy because I don't in any way want to trivialize some of the suffering that is experienced in this life. But when you have a terrible dream and then you wake up, the dream may still have been terrible and there may have been something horrific about the dream, but you have woken up into a reality which is so much richer and more real and more robust, and it is not a reality in which you're suffering, and there's great relief and comfort that comes from that. Well, what if it's the case that the world that ultimately we are headed for, or the state of being that ultimately we are headed for, for that eternal state, is one that is so much richer and so much more robust and so much more real than what we're experiencing right now, that it will be something like waking up from the terrible dream with that great relief and that great comfort. And it is, I think, biblical to, to think that way, even though we can just barely imagine it. But I think of 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor man imagined what God has. But I think of 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor humankind imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And Romans 8 as well, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And every time I read that verse, I think, wow, that is a really strong statement to be able to make given the severity of some of the suffering in this life, but how strongly that then speaks to what it is that we are headed for and there's great hope to be found in that. When I was uh, an atheist, um, I would look at things like a cancer or... Uh, wars or earthquakes and just all these different things. And I didn't even have a paradigm to be able to put it into. It was just the way things are and the realization that I was hurtling to the same fate that those people are facing. It could be that it was an accident the next day or it could be that it, dying of cancer at the age of 80. But ultimately, uh, what we have 
is exactly what you said. It is the hope that is in us, that it is not a, a blind hope. It is a hope that in a blind hope in in what we can accomplish and how that that science will eventually uh, cure a certain disease because at the end of the day, uh, in this world, short of of God coming back or us coming home, uh, that that we are all going to face it. It might be delayed by a little while, but what we have is we know that Christ has defeated this. It is it is this this the already but not yet. We are in a world that is just that it, for for many of us is almost unbearable. But we know that Jesus on the cross has defeated this. He is drawing his people to himself and one day this will be no more. And that is just a comfort that I never had as a non-believer. The the suffering that I had uh, whether it was in the deployment or suffering of like friends and and the different things in my life, they bore down on me um, because I didn't have a hope. But we know, to Vince's, to your point, that at the end of the day, this has been defeated. I, I've read the end of Revelations. I know who wins. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Let me make two uh, just brief further connections on this really critical question. One is sometimes people ask, where is God in the suffering? Right. And that's actually a really good question. It's also a question that, that I find encouraging to be able to respond to from a Christian perspective because one thing we can say that no other worldview can say is that God is there in the suffering yeah. because he has suffered himself. And secondly, where is God in the suffering? You also see God in terms of the image of God being displayed in human persons in the context of suffering in ways that you almost never see otherwise. In times of terrible suffering, you see the very worst of evil, but you often see the very best of humanity. You get that glimpse of God through the image of God in human people shining through because it's often in the very worst that we actually, sometimes even without knowing it, we receive the promptings of God and we respond to people in sacrificial love and with a selflessness which is so rarely true of us but you sometimes see in real tragedy and there's something beautiful about that even amidst the heartbrokenness and the second point that I wanted to make here just to connect this to real life experience sometimes we think of this challenge of why there's suffering in the world, even if God exists in this way, we think it would be evil for someone, for God, to create people into a world that includes serious suffering. That might be the thought that's going through our head. But here's the connection I want to make. If that's true, then not only will we have to call God evil, we will also have to call evil any human parents who decide to have a child. Human parents make that very difficult decision as well. They know full well that if you have a child into this world, even the most favorable of human lives is going to experience serious suffering at some point in that life. And yet, we think that it can not only be okay, but it could be an act of love for a human parent to say, I'm going to have a child anyway. 
we don't think that a parent is evil just for bringing a child into a world with suffering. We have to ask further questions. Is that parent willing to suffer alongside their child? Is that w- parent willing to do whatever it takes to, as Michael put it, claim the victory in the end and see that child through suffering? And when we ask those questions, then the Christian God can respond in a better way than any other worldview or any other human person ever could. So it's interesting to think that we as human parents do, in some ways, the very same thing, bring children into a world where there's serious suffering that we then point at God at and blame him for. It's interesting how quick we are to point at God and blame him, the same God who, when he suffered at our hands, he looked down and his words out of his mouth, the instinct of his heart was to say, Father, forgive them. So uh, we have an incredibly gracious God, I think, in terms of the way that we sometimes turn and look to blame him for things that actually were involved in ourselves, and yet he's the one who can suffer alongside and who can see us through to a better state, like you said, Michael. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode. Vince, sum it up for us. Well, we've been dealing with this uh, really difficult question of natural evil, and Natural evil is something every person needs to deal with, regardless of what you do or don't believe about God, regardless of what worldview you hold. And so the question is, what sort of worldview do do we need in response to the reality of natural evil? I think we need a worldview that calls natural evil evil, that allows us to use those categories of good and evil, which it's so difficult to get a hold on from an atheistic or naturalistic worldview. We need a worldview that challenges us to resist and alleviate suffering due to natural evil and all evil. And we find that in Jesus, Jesus who says, however you've treated the least of these, you've treated me. So there's that encouragement to go out and to be people who respond to suffering with love and with charity and by alleviating it. And then ultimately we need a worldview that offers hope. And as you said, uh, Michael, a worldview that doesn't leave us with natural evil, that doesn't leave us with suffering as the final word, but that brings the final words that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain in that wonderful passage from Revelation 21 where it says, because God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Amazing detail there. Not just that the tears will be wiped from our eyes, but that it will be God himself who intimately, relationally wipes the tears from our eyes. Something absolutely to look forward to. An upbeat way of ending a very deep and uh, and difficult uh, subject. Thank you guys for joining me, and thank you guys for tuning in, and we will be back next week. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.